The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. Welcome to Living Acts Church. For those of you who are new here, I am not the pastor. I'm not the associate pastor. In fact, if this were a football game, I'm the guy up in the stands who films the games, okay? So bear with me as I stand up here and try to let the Holy Spirit speak through me. My name is Bryce King, and I am the deacon of missions here at LAC. And when I was asked to fill this position, I didn't know that God was going to make me stand up here and talk. (laughs) I thought, sure, deacon of missions, yay, mission trips. But as deacon of missions here at LAC, I'm charged with helping guide the focus of the body to be missionally minded. Who has a Bible with them here? Like a real one. There we go. So that book, one year ago, if you had asked me, what is the overall message of the Bible? I would have said, it's the story of how the creator God is reconciling his people to himself for the glory of his name. And that would have been a correct answer because I went to Dallas Baptist University and I took that class and I got a B. But last year, my wife made me take another class. I took a class that was offered in Tyler called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. The Perspectives course is a missiology course or a study of missions. And through that course, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to what this book, the Bible, has to say about God, the Father, and the family business. Because if you are a child of faith, born of Abraham, or as Paul says in the book of Romans, grafted into the family of God, you are a part of the family business. And it is the vision of the pastors, elders, and leaders of this church to educate, equip, and send people to work the family business. So, If you would, please stand with me in the reading of God's word. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Mm. Sorry, I just really wanted to read that to y'all. Y'all can be seated. So let's get to the point in our actual text today. Turn with me to Galatians 3. 
I'm going to jump around this chapter a bit, and it's probably going to seem like I'm just throwing breadcrumbs out there, but I hope it will make sense at the end, and I'll try to connect the dots. Let's begin. Galatians 3 verse 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. Those verses have a lot of stuff about a promise. And Abraham and children of promise. Now let's look at that promise and see what it says. If you would now turn with me to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This paragraph right here is the thesis statement of the whole Bible as it relates to missions. According to John Stott, who if you haven't read his stuff, you should, the whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. But in order to understand what's going on, we need to slow down a bit. Eleanor, my daughter, is in kindergarten at King's Academy. So that's a university model school where she goes to school Tuesdays and Thursdays and we homeschool her the rest. Well, Lauren homeschools her. I go to work. But sometimes I try. Anyway, kindergarten's hard because when you're in first grade, you already know things like how to hold a pencil or how to write a letter. In kindergarten, you have to learn it all. And that's hard. For her, it's frustrating because she figures things out pretty fast but not necessarily the way that it's supposed to be done. Like writing the letter A. The workbook says, put your pencil on, on the dot on the top of the page and draw a line at an angle down. Then do it again. Then draw a line straight across. Well, Eleanor just writes an A by like making a swoop right across and then a line across the center. Well, that is an A technically, but it's not the one she is being taught. You see, she sees the A and thinks, okay, I'll draw an A. That's it. She tends to not slow down and make sure it's the correct, right way of doing it. She just quickly does it and then gets upset when I erase it and tell her to do it again. <laughs> to help her with this, I keep telling her, we learn when we go slow. And I think that's true for how we should be reading the Bible, too. We learn when we go slow. So, chapter 12 starts with, the Lord said to Abram. Well, this is the 12th chapter of the first book of the Bible. We are 12 chapters in, but who is the Lord? 
on a translation note. When the English Bible says the Lord, it means Yahweh, the high and exalted form of the word. And when it says God, it actually means Elohim, the more personal, relational form of God. Anyway, so that we're all caught up. So the Lord said to Abram, well, we are 12 chapters into a book. The first 11 chapters lead up to these chapters in the story. And the rest of the Bible flows and fulfills this relationship right here. Before we go further into the Bible, we need to remember the first 11 chapters. It starts with the Lord, him creating the heavens and the earth. It's important we never forget that the Bible begins with God. Genesis 1.1 states, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning of the universe, not the planets or the garden or Adam, the father of the human race, or Abraham, the father of the chosen race or David, or Isaiah, or Peter, or Paul, or John. It starts with the Lord and him creating everything. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So, God creates creation. He makes man and woman, puts them in the garden, Adam and Eve sin, are kicked out of the garden, and it goes downhill from there. So much so that God destroys everything except for Noah and his family. Then he tells Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply, spread over the earth and fill it, Genesis 9. They go forth, but don't spread. We have the Tower of Babel where God confuses their language. Then we get these genealogies of the families or tribes or nations of the earth for three chapters. Now we get back to chapter 12. The Lord says to Abraham, go, leave. When he says that, he is actually drawing Abraham away into isolation, setting him apart to make him a great nation, that through him all the nations will be blessed. We see this language again in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may know, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I got to amen that one too. <clears throat> Sorry. The word holy in the English language, that word is actually broken up into two words. Holy, H-O-L-Y, to be set apart. And holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning complete. In the Hebrew, that is one word. A holy nation is one that is set apart for God and also wholly his. So in Genesis 12, God commands Abraham to separate himself from all the other families of the earth, to be a holy nation for God, the creator of every other thing in existence, and to be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, his representative on earth. He promises to bless Abraham and to bless those who bless him which is a foreshadowing to Christ bringing the Gentiles into Abraham's family. Because what greater blessing is there than to be reconciled to God and a part of his family? Chapter 12, verse 3 ends with God's purpose for this promise. By you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So how does this relate to missions and spreading the message of the gospel to the world? Well, God has continually told his people to go. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply. 
He called Abraham out of, the, out of his land and sent him out to bless the nations. And Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When the Lord told Abraham, uh, when the Lord told Adam and Eve to go, be fruitful and multiply, and Noah's family to be fruitful and multiply, and Abraham and his family through Jacob in Egypt to be fruitful and multiply, and the disciples to teach all that Jesus commanded them and make disciples or be fruitful and multiply. He's telling his people to bear his image, to take his message, and to go into all the world to bless all the nations with the ultimate blessing, becoming a part of the family of God. As children of God, we are a part of his family and a part of his family business. The business of spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the nations. That his name would be made great. Stephen Hawthorne, founder of the Joshua Project, a, a research project into unreached people groups and co-author of the Perspectives text, says God's glory flows in two directions. The, the first direction of his glory is toward the world. He shows his glory to people throughout the earth. He reveals who he is and what he has done in order to bring about the second direction of his glory, that people might give him glory in loving worship. At the start of the sermon, we read Psalm 96. That psalm shows these two directions of the Lord's glory. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Do you see the beautiful portrayal of the evangelism movement? The psalmist goes on to tell the purpose of world evangelism, world evangelization by describing the second aspect of, and direction of God's glory, a response of glory from the nations toward God in verse 7 and 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The heart of missions flows in this amazing glory. God reveals his glory to all nations in order to receive glory from all creation. You see, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's all about God. The purpose of serving him is that his name would be made great among the nations. No one else's. <clears throat> Do you know why God hates idolatry? Have you ever actually thought about it? Is he so insecure that he can't handle a little competition? In the West, I think we don't understand God's fixation with not competing with other things. But look at it from his perspective. Any kind of idolatry would in effect profane or bring down as common God's name. Look at what he did in Egypt. See, God leads his people out of Egypt in such a way that Egypt has never recovered, and they've been limping along ever since. This wasn't done in a small way. God could have put the message on Pharaoh's heart that he was being mean to the Hebrew people, and Pharaoh could have ridden out to meet Moses and told him, Moses, take your people and go. <laughs> Sorry, I like the Ten Commandments. It's fun. Um, <laughs> digress. Uh, but no, God chooses to flex in this moment. 
He lays such a smackdown on the Egyptians and their gods that the message goes out before the people of Israel and the nations are still talking about it 40 years later. In fact, Rahab the prostitute says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of, this, of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. I mean, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. They were the center of everything, cultural, spiritual, and academic. And God hit them so hard, his name reverberated out for decades. Mike Tyson was a good boxer, but I bet you anything, he never punched someone so hard that they yelled his name. <laughs> so did God rescue the Israelites for their sake? No. There were a lot of countries out there with oppressed slaves. God rescues Israel because he is God, and it's his name that is to be glorified. But the crazy thing is the Israelites just kept worshiping other gods. Time and time again, they turn from God and rob him of his glory. So much so that God tells Moses he's going to wipe them out. But Moses appeals to God, pretty much stating, if you do this and wipe them out, all the nations are going to say, obviously the God of the Israelites wasn't able to save them. He must not have been that strong of a God. My paraphrase, but it's Numbers 14, 15, 16. That, anyway, it's for his name. That's why the temple was built, to be a beacon of his name, that all nations would come, as King Solomon prayed in 1 Kings 8, concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country, for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. This God is worthy to be praised. From Adam at the beginning of creation until now, as worshipers of the Most High, our cry has been, let the earth hear his voice. But soon comes the day when by most reckonings, the earth will have heard. What then? Well, we will join in a far older cry, a song that was sung before the fall. We're like in Psalm 67, three through five, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. If our goal as followers of Christ is to reach that fulfillment of Psalm 67, that the nations be glad and sing for joy, then they need to hear. So how are we doing at that today? I actually have a short video of that to put the world today into perspective. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human 
just like them so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight. But by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshipped by all people. So those statistics can be disheartening because it looks like the church is failing in their mission. So why is there such a disparity among the world and the missions movement? Well, for one thing, all the easy places have been taken. With each missions movement, there's been a time of harvest followed by a time of winter. And with each winter, the church has had to rethink their methods. At one point in history, the church actually declared the Great Commission fulfilled. 
because there had been a church established on every continent. It took a new vision, a a new perspective. The situation today is that the low-hanging fruit has been picked. Now we need to climb to the top of the tree and pick what's up there. We just have to find the right ladder. You see, most of the unreached people, most of the unreached places are hostile to the gospel. But it's not all bad. For example, in 2016, India, which is located within that 1040 window, was still classified as an unreached people group. An, An unreached people group is defined as a people who do not have a sustainable network of Bible believing churches in their nation that can continue the work of the missionaries meaning that the indigenous people have not taken charge of the gospel-spreading mission. Today, in 2019, India has been taken off that list because there is now a large enough presence of indigenous Bible-believing Christians to sustain the gospel movement. Another really cool fact, China has the largest population in the world, and today it is the largest mission-sending country. The church in China has a missions goal called Back to Jerusalem Movement, where they will hope to send 100,000 missionaries into the Middle East, and they are working toward that goal. A large prevailing hope is that when the Great Commission is fulfilled, then Christ will return for his bride. Today, for the first time ever since Abraham was called, we have the ability to fulfill the Great Commission within our lifetime. So here at LAC, how do we, as the family of God, prepare, engage, equip, and go? so that his name will be made great among the nations. Well, this is the first step. We as a church are beginning the conversation. We want to be obedient to the Lord's command and work to fulfill the Great Commission. Now the question is, what can each individual member do to further the gospel among the nations? Well, the first thing should always be to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and guidance as it relates to our missional goal as a church and as individual church members. As a church, We're going to begin looking at our finances and see if we are using our resources in the best way to further the gospel to nations. There may be some ministries that we have been supporting in the past that we stop supporting in the future. In a church our size, it's easy to over-diversify. Giving $100 to 10 different organizations isn't as effective as giving 1,000 to one organization. At the start of this service, we watched a video called PrayerCast. PrayerCast.org has a video for every nation. Each video has a native to that nation praying for their home. You're going to see more of these videos over time as we seek to open our eyes to what is going on around the world. Also, I would like to see more members of this church take the Perspectives on World Missions course. I took this course because my wife made me. I didn't want to take a missions course. To be honest, I didn't care about missions. As deacon of missions, I'm getting better at that. (laughs) Lauren took the course in 2016 because she knew that she didn't care about missions. Then she realized that if she loved Christ, she needed to grow in loving what he loves. The next time around, she made me take it, which was really the Holy Spirit working through her. Since taking the perspectives course, I've come to realize that if, if you love someone, you love what they love. If I love Jesus, then I need to love what he loves, and he loves the nations. So the Perspectives course is a 15-week course offered in Tyler that helps equip and educate Christians about the Great Commission and how we are working to fulfill it. And I think everyone needs to take it. 
the Lord used this course to change my heart and my wife's heart about missions. Equipping and training this church body to view the world through the lens of the Great, Com of the Great Commission is a major step in which we at LAC can further the work of taking the gospel to the nations. Because when he comes and we are all sitting at the wedding feast, what stories will we have to tell of how we played a part in blessing the nations of the earth that all the nations would sing for joy? Let us pray. Oh, gracious Father, we confess that we have not loved what you love and that we have failed to love you well. Forgive us, O oh Lord. I ask that you would open our eyes and hearts to see and love the peoples of the earth. Holy Spirit, guide us to the nations that all the peoples would praise you, that all the world would sing of your great name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.